Amen. I have to admit it, I have a great admiration for farmers. Some of my best friends are former farmers, and when I visit them, I'm, also, I'm always really impressed at how hard they work. You know, going along uh, on, a, Chris, on a, a, a Christmas time, spending Christmas Eve with him, sitting in a combine harvester, working right up until sunset, and then taking Christmas Day off, but then Boxing Day, first thing in the morning, he's awake again in the combine harvester, harvesting again. I have another friend whose, whose job it is to try and recruit young people to farming, but he tells me just how hard it is to convince young people of the benefits of working, waking up every morning at four o'clock, and sometimes working with very little return, especially during times of droughts and floods. If you don't know any farmers, uh, maybe you've also been watching Clarkson's Farm on Prime Video, even with lots of money, TV cameras, a large ego, it is clear, even from Jeremy Clarkson, that farming is costly and it's hard work. And of course there are benefits when there's a bumper harvest, but there is often a massive investment in time, energy, hard work resources before you get to see any results. And sometimes you hardly see any return at all. Harvesting is not for the idle. And neither is farming the word of God. Word ministry, sowing the word of God, is hard work. It's time consuming, it's energy zapping, it's troublesome. When opening up the word of God every day requires desire and discipline. Turning up a community group every week involves commitment. Submitting to the Word of God, you know, it requires a lot of humility. It requires a bucket loads of experience. Guarding the gospel, you know, by passing it on to others, it's tough, especially when you face opposition. So as we go out into the fields, we need words of encouragement from the Lord of the harvest. We need motivation to keep going, knowing that it is worth it, knowing that Jesus is worth it. Jesus gives encouragement. He gives motivation to the crowds and to us in chapter 13 in the form of parables. Now, a parable is a story that is used to illustrate a moral or spiritual lesson, to teach a great truth, or to challenge the hearers to change their own behavior. And this first parable Jesus teaches is probably one of the most known ones, the parable of the sword, you know, the parable of the soils. This is what Jesus says. Consider the, the sower who went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Some seed fell on rocky ground where it didn't have much soil, and it grew up quickly since the soil wasn't deep. But when the sun came up, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns came up and choked it. Still other seed fell on good ground and produced fruit. Some a hundred, some sixty, and some thirty times what was sown. Let anyone who has ears to hear listen. The first thing, you know, that we notice from the parable is that the sower goes out and he sows indiscriminately and liberally. The sower, you know, doesn't know where the good soil is, so he sows indiscriminately. 
The sower is so intent on having a good harvest that he sows liberally. He sows in every corner of the field. But the odds of the farmer producing a a bumper crop, they're stacked against him. He only has a one in four chance of actually producing anything. Hard ground, pesky birds, shallow soil, adverse weather conditions, thorns are all going to render three quarters of the effort wasted. But despite the apparent waste, he still sows indiscriminately and liberally. The second thing that we notice is that the seed that is sown in good soil will produce a bumper harvest. In verse 8, we read, So still other soil seed fell on good ground and produced fruit, some a hundred, some sixty, and some sixty times, thirty times that was sown. You know, a harvest of, of one hundredfold was extraordinary in Palestine. In fact, the average harvest was more like three or fourfold. Therefore, even a harvest of 30-fold, well, that was something special. It was 60 was beyond comprehension. A harvest that yielded 100, well, that was remarkable even, you know, it, it, you know just so miraculous. It just didn't happen. You know, I don't know about you, but I think even one-fold, a one-fold harvest is pretty miraculous. It's pretty incredible. My friend once gave me a, um, a tiny seed. This is it here. Can you see it? Um, it's a daikon seed. He would sow the seed into his veggie patch and it would produce one of these. It would produce a daikon. And it still blows my mind to think how on earth can, sorry, I just dropped it there, can one of those produce one of these? I mean, it's remarkable. But how does one seed produce 100 of these? That just seems impossible. And so it's no wonder that the Lord Jesus says in verse 9, you know, let anyone who has ears listen. The disciples, you know, they have ears to hear, but they just don't understand what Jesus is playing at. I mean, here's Jesus. He now has so many people wanting to hear him that he, you know, turns his boat into a pulpit. It's like he's down in Brisbane City. He's down in front of the city hall. There's thousands of people. He has a massive crowd. There's so many people pushing against him. He has to go and climb up on a car. He's now using a car as a, as a pulpit. He's preaching to the masses. And as Jesus is doing that, you know, he, the, the disciples realize this is a great PR opportunity. So what does Jesus do? Well, he speaks to the crowds in riddles. In verse 10, you know, the disciples, they ask him, Jesus, why are you speaking to them in parables of all things? And Jesus gives them two reasons. The first one, he says, is because the parables act as a filter. They, they sieve out those who refuse to listen to Jesus and who refuse to treat him as their Lord. In verses 11 to 12, Jesus answers them by saying, because the secrets of the kingdom of heaven have been given to you for you to know, but it has not been given to them. For whoever has, more will be given to him, and he will have more than enough. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. I mean, who is the you 
And who is the them that Jesus is referring to? But if you look back to Matthew chapter 12, the chapter before, at the end of the chapter, Jesus there recognizes that there are two groups of people. There is the group that is inside. There is another group that is outside. Jesus is in the house with his disciples, and his mother and brothers are standing outside. And Jesus says, you know, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand towards his disciples, he says, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. You know, Jesus' blood relatives, they're outside the house and they're dictating to Jesus. And Jesus distinguishes them from Jesus' true spiritual family who are humbly at sitting at his feet, listening to him and learning from him. You know, the you that Jesus is referring to, they are the disciples. It's those who recognize that Jesus is king. It's those who come humbly to sit at his feet, ready and willing to hear his words and follow through and obey his will. The them are those who refuse to accept Jesus as king. And Jesus wants to make it clear the multitudes can't understand the parables. The parables do not make any sense on first listening. We only understand the meaning. We only understand the transformative power behind the parables when we humbly come to Jesus and say to him, Jesus, teach me this message and massage the meaning of this message into my life. But on first listening, they are like a riddle. You just cannot make sense of them. You know, when I uh, lived in Northern Ireland, two young guys from the church that I was going to, they came up to me and they said, Sam, could you please mentor us? And at that time, I was extremely busy. And I said, I'm sorry, guys, I have no time. And they kept asking me and said, okay, guys, I will mentor you, but it will be every Thursday between 6.30 a.m. and 8 a.m. in the morning. Now, we had this conversation during wintertime, and I can tell you, you do not want to be anywhere except from in your house at 6.30 a.m. on a Thursday morning during winter. It is cold, it is wet, it is damp. And so when I told them that, it was a way to kind of try and sieve and kind of just filter their, their kind of whether they were really genuinely, really, they really, 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 really wanted to meet with me or not. And after, you know, a, kind of a few conversations with them, they said, okay, we'll do it. We'll meet up with you at 6.30 on a Thursday morning. And so week in, week out, I would get up and I would travel to their house to meet up with them at 6.30 a.m. in the dark and in the rain. And that's a bit like what's happening in these parables. They're, they're kind of like they're, they're filtering out those who are coming to listen, those who are humbly asking for explanation, those who are coming ready and willing to, to change and receive the abundance that Jesus has prepared for them with those who couldn't be bothered with Jesus, those who reject and refuse to listen to him, and so they lose the benefits of the knowledge that they already have. In a parable, it seems to be quite simple, but they're only grasped by those who want to handle the truth. 
On the one hand, they teach the truth, but on the other hand, they seem to obscure it. And Jesus says that is intentional. He says he will not lavish the benefits of his kingdom on those who refuse to come and recognize him as king. To them, living under Jesus' rule, well, it makes no sense. The kingdom of God for them is just like a riddle. Jesus gives a second reason for using parables in verses 12 to 17. He says the parables act as a hardening agent. As God's kingdom expands, as it grows throughout the world, as it expands, it also grows alongside the hardening of those who stubbornly refuse to listen. As we've seen over the last few weeks, Jesus is speaking to a crowd of people who have heard the Old Testament, who have been taught by John the Baptist, who have met Jesus face to face. They've heard the teachings of Jesus. They've witnessed his miracles, but they have still refused to recognize him as king. They're still refusing to listen. And so Jesus says, you know, looking, they do not see. Hearing, they do not understand, listen or understand. And now in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled. You will listen, you will listen and listen, but never understand. You will look and look, but never perceive. For this people's hearts has grown callous. Their ears are hard of hearing. They have shut their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn back and I would heal them. The parables act almost like a mode of judgment on people who, who continue to dig their heels in stubborn rejection of Jesus as their king. And Jesus deliberately, I think, he uses the example of Isaiah because Isaiah himself was often accused of being too simplistic. His teaching was too simple and yet the people still refuse to listen. And Jesus says that's exactly what's happening also in his day. And so the parables act as a way of hardening hearts towards Jesus. That language of the, the callous heart, it's more like a fat heart. It's a couch potato heart. A heart that is so fat on the truth of Jesus that it refuses to be moved and, and it remains spiritually inactive. The language of, of hearing but never understanding, it's like visiting an old relative in a, in, in a retirement home. You, know, you walk in and you say, hey, Aunt Becky, it's Sam. And she goes, ha, ha, can you speak up? Aunt Becky, it's Sam. Look, son, can you speak up? I can't hear you. Can you please speak up? It's Sam. I don't want harm. What do you mean? It's not time for him. No, it's Sam. Can you speak up? And even though you eventually get through to Aunt Becky, she just nods off and has a snooze. Lots of us have been there. Every time you seem to speak to her, it's all distant. It's all gone. It used to be there. But it's not there anymore. It's a past memory. It's all gone. That language of blindness, it's like, you know, our old 15-year-old Cocker Spaniel who, 
was so blind that he just stumbled along. He just didn't care anymore what he bumped into. He just didn't have the energy to get out of the way for anything. He just stumbled along hitting into everything. Jesus says that's what's happening with his teaching. People who hear and hear and hear and hear but refuse to respond to Jesus as king will end up hardening their hearts over and over and over again. You know, you come to church, we have the Bible reading, we take out our, our mobile phones to read the Bible, and yeah, we can maybe get to the passage, but after a while we start checking our Instagram account as the Bible's being read. Um, you know, the, the, the times, comes time to the preaching, you know, the preacher's preaching, and as, you, you know, as the preacher's preaching and teaching, inside, internally, you're saying, oh, I've just heard all this before. It just kind of like washes over you. Internally, you're having a snooze. You might even have your phone and just check your emails, do some online shopping, you know, while you're at church, send a couple of text messages, you know, because I've just heard it all before. Maybe you can away the time you leave church and you walk out of the church, you know, it's within about five seconds you've just completely forgot. What was the, what was the message again tonight? Ah, oh, some, something about Jesus? Maybe you're sitting around the dinner table and someone's praying, you know, for, to say thank, you know, uh, grace for the meal and you just open your eyes and just roll your eyes and go, <laughs> yeah. it just seems to be so simple, so simplistic. The Word of God just washes over us. Attendance at church just becomes sporadic. Commitment to Christian growth and maturity, well, that's optional. Serving at church, well, that's debatable. Sharing our faith, well, that's discretionary. And just little by little, bit by bit, what we're doing is we are hardening our heart. As we treat the Lord Jesus, who's worthy of, of our everything, just with indifference, with just crass indifference, what we end up doing, we end up hardening our hearts towards him, and we move little by little by little by little further from him and further from the truth. And then we wonder why the voice of Jesus, why the appeal of Jesus just seems increasingly dim. You know, it's, it's a horrible picture of a stubborn refusal to receive Jesus as king. It's a, it's a terrifying picture of judgment. And it's a warning to all of us. If we listen to the word of God again and again and again and again, and he calls us to repentance again and again and again and again, and we keep rejecting him, we keep turning down his voice in our lives, we will become so spiritually obese that we will not be able to get up and move towards him in obedience. You know, this is such a contrast to the words of Jesus in verses 16 and 17. Jesus says what a privilege it is for us to be in the position that we are tonight. 
Abraham, Moses, even the prophet Isaiah, if they were here this evening, they would be so envious of us. You know, they long to see what we now see and understand. The secrets of the kingdom of God have been revealed to us. We have the entire word of God in our hands. We have the perspective of seeing the the words of the Old Testament fulfilled in the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have the promise of the Lord Jesus where he says, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And 2,000 years later, that's exactly what we see. As the gospel has been proclaimed, it's exploded all over the earth, even to the buck end of nowhere, to Brisbane in Australia. We see all of that. How blessed we are. And this explanation of the function of the parables in Jesus' word ministry, it seems to be confirmed in the interpretation of the parable from verse 18 as three quarters of the labor would appear to be in vain. But at the same time, there is exponential growth. Notice how, you know, when we work through the the interpretation from Jesus, that every response, there is a response to the word of God. Everybody hears the word. But they all respond in different ways. In verse 19, you know, that the seed of the word of God, it's, it's, it's sowed in hearts that, that, that appear to be indifferent to God. And immediately, that, that seed is just taken away by the devil. In verses 20 to 21, you know, the word of God is it's received with enthusiasm, but because of a shallow understanding, because of an unwillingness to own the word for themselves, because of the fear of rejection and persecution, people soon fall away. For others, the word is received but choked out by the cares of the world, by materialism and by idolatry. It's not that they don't believe. It's not that they, you know, that they, they don't think that belief is something that's admirable or it's a good thing. It's just that they have no room in their life for God. They have no time for, for waiting. They have no time to say no to things so that they can say yes to God. Jesus, I think, is making an important note that he wants to make sure that the disciples and we are listening. We are to go out. We are to share the word of God. We're to do it indiscriminately. We're to do it liberally to lots of different kinds of people. And we do that because we have no idea where the soil is. We have no idea where the receptive heart is. But as we do, we must realize that even though people hear, they're not going to always respond the way that we, we'd like them to. We, we, we think they should with a decision to follow Christ. It's very likely that the majority of people will remain hardened to the gospel. But that hardening is due more to the condition of people's own souls than to our inability to produce a powerful sermon, you know, a convincing argument or a clearer appeal. You know, this is a fairly simple point to make, but it's a point that I think we often miss. It's easy to feel discouraged when our family or our friends or our neighbors and colleagues at work to refuse our invitation to church or to a church event. 
It's so sad whenever we see how indifferent they are to our faith. But we shouldn't be surprised because Jesus says, well, that response is pretty typical. We may even begin to doubt the power of God's word because we don't see it having the same kind of transformative power in our own lives or or the same kind of transformative power that the, the Bible claims that it has. And so we can become discouraged. Yes, we're to prepare. Yes, we're to pray. Yes, we're to use all of our gifts and all of our energy to proclaim the good news. But at the end of the day, people will only respond when their hearts are ready to humbly listen to Jesus. But that's not the end because Jesus himself says, but the one sown in good ground, this is the one who hears and understands the word, who does produce fruit and yields, some a hundred, some sixty, some thirty times that which was sown. No, this is a promise from Jesus. It's a promise that Jesus has kept to us here at this church. You know, 14 years ago, Village Church was planted in Calvin Grove. A couple of people from MPC started meeting and started praying about Village Church. This is what Village Church looked like 14 years ago. This is whenever the kids started meeting at at kids' churches um, at 5 p.m. on a Sunday evening in Calvin Grove. That's what Village Church looked like 14 years ago. The church continued to meet um, over in Calvin Grove um, on Sunday evenings. People started coming together. People started becoming Christians as the, as the church began to grow. And then, you know, it's only about seven years ago now that, you know, that we decided to meet on a Sunday morning. This is us baptizing Roly together as a church over at Calvin Grove. And, to, you know, to see a, a new service start with only like 35 people and to see that grow over the years. Um, and, and then, you know, over here at Spring Hill, to see God gathering people here as God began a new work over here in Spring Hill in 2020. How, you know, new ministries have started throughout our church, and we've seen so many people, thousands of people, come to know and to hear about the Lord Jesus who would never have had an opportunity to hear. Um, some of you here know Uncle Russ. We met Uncle Russ a couple of years ago in a park in Calvin Grove. Um, we got to know him um, really well. He started coming along to you know, the, the community meals on a Wednesday night, started coming along to the cafe. Um, Uncle Russ, in that period of time, has come to know Christ and grown in his relationship with Christ. Um, he's been unwell quite recently. And just before um, tonight's service, we got a text message to say that he's just been taken into palliative care and he may not make the night. That's where Jeremy's had to go. Um, every sentence that I give this evening, I'm just thinking about Uncle Russ. I'm just thinking how sad it is, but at the same time, how, you know, even as we're meeting here tonight, the Lord Jesus could be carrying him into eternity. And how God has used us as a church to, to help support Uncle Russ, even at his time of need to have his niece call, you know, from Sydney and say, um, is this the pastor from Village Church? Could you please send someone right now to the hospital to be with Russ? He may not make the night. And the fact that 
we as a church, you know, the fact that some of you even know who Uncle Russ is, the fact that you care for him and visited him over these last few months, how God uses us as his people and how God wants to continue to use us as his people. It's not easy. It's hard work. You know, this year we've, we've been blessed to see and commission three different units from our church you know, who have gone out to, to, to reach unreached people groups in Southeast Asia and in Germany and in, and in Central Asia to see our own brothers and sisters going out from this place to sow the word of God amongst people who have never even heard of the name of Jesus before. It's hard. We've had lots of mistakes. There's been lots of tears. But we also know that the Lord Jesus promises that the one sown on good ground, this is the one who hears and understands the word, who does produce fruit and yield, some a hundred, some sixty, some thirty times what was sown. You know, it does blow my mind how God can take, you know, a seed and produce, you know, a radish from a seed, how God can produce a hundred radishes. And it actually also blows my mind to think how God can take the word of God, the seed of the word of God, and how God can take the seed of his word and produce the kind of fruit that we see in our lives, that we see in the lives of our church. All I know is that he does. He's done it in my life. He can continue to do it in yours, and he promises to keep doing it in the lives of those around us every day. So I want to encourage you, don't quit on coming humbly to Jesus. Don't quit coming asking him to, to transform you and to change you by his word. I want to encourage you this evening, if you, are, if you feel this evening that you are starting to harden your heart towards the Lord Jesus, I want you to come before him tonight and to humbly repent of that and ask him to soften your heart and to change you. Don't quit broadcasting the good news of the Lord Jesus far and wide. Don't give up on inviting people to church. Don't give up on inviting kids to our holiday program in two weeks' time. You know, take that challenge tonight to invite a friend to come to the world of Yom. Take that seriously this evening. You know, Chandra's gone out this afternoon to deliver flyers in our local Spring Hill area with Uncle John inviting people to the the kids program in two weeks, you know, please pray for that. If you're working in the city, invite people along to, to city Bible form events. Don't always choose within yourself who you think is the person who's going to accept the invite because we never know. Encourage friends, encourage family to meet up and to read the Bible with you. God is on mission. He's going out and harvest. It's going to be hard work. Things may not turn out the way that we expect. But as we go out, let's be determined to pray. Let's commit ourselves to sow the word of God indiscriminately and liberally. And as we do that, let's anticipate a harvest in our own hearts and also anticipate a harvest in the lives of those around us for Christ's glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the, the power of your word that 
fills and invades our heart and our lives and who has the power to remove the blinkers so that we see the glory that is in the Lord Jesus. Lord, it's only by your grace. It's only by your goodness that we can see. And so, Lord, I pray, Lord, for us this evening, please increase our vision. Please open up our ears more. Lord, please continue to teach us to humbly sit at your feet. Lord, forgive us for times in which we have showed just indifference towards you, for times when we haven't treated you the way that you deserve to be treated, for the ways in which we've just invited the evil one just to walk into our lives and to remove the word of God, and at times whenever we've just tutted or at times, Father, when we have hardened our heart towards you by how we have treated you, Lord, so please, we ask you. Lord, please continue to teach us what it means to humbly sit at your feet. And Lord, I pray, Lord, please give us great courage that we might, Lord, be committed to sow your word. Forgive us for always kind of, kind of way, trying to choose, trying to be selective at who receives it. But Father, Lord, please give us great confidence in your ability to save, in your ability to draw people into a relationship with yourself. And Lord, I pray, Lord, please keep using us as your people, as your church. That, Lord God, that we might move with your spirit, that we might proclaim your goodness and your grace from the end of our toes to the ends of the earth, we pray. Oh, Father, because we pray these things. Father, just we remember Uncle Ross this this evening. We pray for Jeremy right now as he goes to our brother. We ask you that you will be, um, give Jeremy the words to speak. I pray, Lord, uh, that you'll enable him to have these moments with Russ. Lord, I know that Uncle Ross's desire was to bring glory to you in his death. And Lord, I pray, Lord, that that's exactly what will happen. Lord, so many people know Uncle Ross in Calvin Grove. He's lived there for many years. Lord, and I pray, Lord, please. Lord, receive him. Embrace him. Lord, as he enters into glory, we pray. We praise you uh, for your grace upon his life. And we pray, Lord, that this evening, that as we put our trust in you, Lord Jesus, that we can have that great confidence that you have conquered death, that we don't need to fear death because, Lord Jesus, you rose from the dead. And thank you, Lord, that because of that great truth that Uncle Ross, Lord, is safe in your hands this evening. We give you praise and we give you thanks in Jesus' precious name.